Another day, another deep dive, another player breakdown. Taking a look at Detroit Tigers players this offseason, doing deep dives on their entire season, what worked, what didn't. Obviously, a lot didn't. Today, we're going to talk about Jamer Candelario, another big figure of the offseason. Somebody else who there's a lot of question marks around them as we head into November and, and the winter and where he could land this spring and what his future is with the Detroit Tigers organization. So we're going to talk about it today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, as always. Okay, so as we said in the cold open, uh, today's episode is going to be deep dive, deep diving. Deep sea diving. We are going to be taking a look at Jamer Candelario. We're going to do a deep dive on him and the season that he had. Also, like I said, I think this is one of the more, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but just one of the bigger storylines going into the offseason. Maybe the biggest? I I, I would argue he might be the biggest storyline heading into the season and just whether he's going to get non-tendered or not, what to do with him in the future. Third base is obviously a premier positions, premier position. A lot of good teams have good third basemen. That that's how it works more times than not. So, I I think that this is just and I mean one of the dudes that kind of kicked the rebuild off. I mean honestly, he was one of the first prospects that came up, whether it was a trade, draft, whatever. When this team was going into rebuild mode and was in a full like tankathon rebuild state, he was really the only dude on the team. When you look at those 2018 and 2019 teams that you looked at and went, this dude is supposed to be part of like the future core and is supposed to be here in the future. That was it. He was like the only dude in the at least on the offensive side of the ball. He was pretty much the only guy. So uh, he's just a, a prominent. I would call him a, a prominent figure heading into this offseason. I really think that he's one of the most talked about and going to be one of the more talked about players. So I wanted to do him earlier on just so that we can get my uh, my my thoughts and, and we can have that discussion early. Um, arbitration eligible. That's the big thing, right? He's arbitration eligible, his final year of ARB. So technically... He does have one year of team control left, which would mean that it, in theory, would not cost a ton of money to keep him around. And if you want to keep him around, you will get him. It's just a matter of either you settle it out of arbitration, out of court, right? And you just agree on a number or you go to arbitration and arbitrator, a third party picks what his salary is going to be, whether he sides with Jamer or sides with you. After this season he had, I can't imagine that he's going to get too much of a payday if he goes to arbitration. So, you know, when you have team control, you don't see it too terribly often. 
players that are like everyday starters getting non-tendered. Most of the non-tender guys are kind of those like fringe players or uh, like long relievers maybe. You know what I mean? Like those, those are kind of more of the non-tender candidates. You don't see too many. Last year, I don't think we had any. Oh, Matt Boyd. Two years ago, I don't think we had any. And last year, I think it was just Boyd. So like it's not a it's not a super prominent thing. It's not something that happens too terribly often. Um, again, especially when you're talking about everyday starters, like dudes that that are in, I mean, 2020 and in 2021, this dude was a middle of the lineup bat for us. And by obviously this season was a train wreck for him, and we'll talk about why offensively. Um, but it's just you, you don't usually see that. But th- he is certainly a non-tender candidate after his poor season this year. So let's talk about the season he had this year. Uh, offensively is, is obviously the big reason where it went wrong. We'll talk about his defense later too. But offensively is where this conversation really starts and probably ends as well. Um, yeah, 217 batting average, 272 on base percentage, 361 slug. That's a 633 OPS. It's not great. That's an 83 OPS plus means he's 17% worse than league average. This is coming off of a season in which he was tied for the American League 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 lead in doubles. He had 42 doubles last year, which tied for the league lead 16 homers on top of that, uh, Last year, 271 average, 351 OBP, 443 slug. That's a 795 OPS, just under an 800 OPS. And then in 52 games in 2020, he had an 872 OPS. So really frustrating. Uh, This is one of the big things that I was wrong about. And I I still want to do a show where I kind of highlight everything that all of my takes at the beginning of the season that were incorrect but Jamer is certainly one of them. I really expected a big season on Jamer Candelario. I thought that he was going to build off of what he did the last two seasons and really even break out further. You know, I was never expecting like all-star, you know, 850 plus OPS or anything like that. But I, I really did expect him to, uh, you know, hit 35 to 45 doubles again and maybe even raise that home run total up into like 20 along with hitting all those doubles and have an OPS in the, in the low eight hundreds and really solidify himself as I am the third baseman of the future for this team. And when this team is good again, I am going to be playing third base. That's what I thought was going to happen this year. And any question, any shadow of a doubt anybody had was going to get put to rest and the pretty much as Polar opposite as you can get from that opinion is what happened. I, I I don't think it's possible to be more wrong about a take than that one. Uh, that that was blatantly the exact opposite happened. Now we are looking around, going, I don't think this dude should be on the team next year. Nonetheless, when team control runs out, and we're looking at who our third baseman of the future is going to be, I, I don't think very many people remaining have him in that slate as third baseman when this team is making playoff pushes again if you think that's next year if you think that's two years away whatever I think most people have removed Jamer from that conversation and it's because of that offensive season there's a couple of reasons as to why I think his 
offense really plummeted. There's there's two, well, there's a few. There's a few stats individually that I want to kind of highlight and circle and talk about because I, I do think that adjustments are possible. I do think that there are some adjustments that he could make to get back on track. And I don't know if I'm ever going to expect him to have an OPS in 800s ever again. That Because that's how really poor this season was for him. But I, I do think that some of these are adjustable. So that leads to the, and that leads to the end of the show, which is the conversation of what the heck do we do with third base going forward. So we'll get into all of that. Right after I tell y'all about our new friends over at Roan. The dress shirt was due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt. It's really that easy. It's awesome. With Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can completely just ditch the dry cleaner altogether for your dress shirts. It's really great. The commuter shirt can get you through any work day and straight to whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on to save 20% off of your order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner offer office comfort. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Segment two, Locked On Tigers. Uh, thank you for making us your first listen every day. Greatly appreciate each and every one of y'all. Okay, so we're talking Jamer. So like I said before the break, there's a couple of stats specifically that really stand out to me as to A, like maybe a, a rebound season is in order and is possible, but B, just like where it really went wrong. First and foremost, his barrel percentage was really not that bad. When it came to finding the barrel of the bat and how often he found it, he was actually above league average. He was in the 54th percentile in barrel percentage. So when compared to the rest of the league, he was better than half of the league, more than half of the league, in putting the barrel on the baseball, which is something that's salvageable um, for someone that's 28, about to be 29, I believe. And still has a year of team control left. Um, his K percentage was pretty on par with what he has done throughout his career, which is again at least something. And and the the first thing I want to highlight is walk percentage. It plummeted this year. And just looking back, we'll just go season by season. His walk percentage by year, okay. 2017 was the first time he saw like really legitimate semi-consistent major league action after he was traded to the Tigers obviously he had a 9.2 walk percentage then in 2018 10.7 2019 11.1 2020 9.7 2021 10.4 and then this year it was 6% not even close 
comfortably the worst of his career, not even in the same ballpark as anything else. His career, even after this year, his career walk percentage is 9.6. Going into this season, it was over 10%. But because he had a full season of a 6% walk percentage, we find ourselves here. His K percentage was about what it usually is, like I said. Uh, His hard hit percentage, not too far off from what? A little bit lower than the last two years when he really broke out for sure, but not, not terribly low, not like a huge dip. Um, I, I think what this really comes down to for starters is that, is the walk percentage way too, and the K percentage, like I said, didn't move. So I, I it's just poor eye, whether it was going out and, and chasing something or the majority of what it was, was just the inability to do anything with pitches that were actually in the strike zone. And that's a reoccurring theme throughout this team this year. We talked about last season, last season, yesterday, goodness, uh, Jonathan Scope had a hard time hitting pitches in the zone. Jamer Candelario the same way. On pitches over the heart of, heart of the plate, he had like a negative six runs produced. Like that's that's inexcusable. Those are the pitches you're supposed to be driving. So that's another thing. But when you go to the types of pitches that he was seeing, first and foremost, the thing that jumps off the page at you, when you talk about the fastball, that's supposed to be the drivable pitch. He had a 422 slugging percentage against fastballs this season. Last year, he had a 481 slug against fastballs, and his expected slugging percentage was 519 against fastballs last year. That's really high. And the reason that you see a big kind of a relatively I guess almost 40 point gap in between slugging and ex-slugging is probably a lot to do with the Comerica Park factor but um, really crushed fastballs last year this year slugging and expected slugging almost the exact same 422 and 421 not terrible but definitely a large step back and then the other two is where you see night and day differences Uh, The breaking ball, he's never really been that great against the breaking ball. Slugging percentage this year against it was 292. Last year, it was 341. The off-speed pitches is the most glaring thing to me. Okay. Expected batting average. Off-speed in 2022, 226. Off-speed expected batting average in 2021 was 327, and it actually was 290. He was almost a 300 hitter against changeups and off-speed pitches last year. This year, he barely hit 200. Slugging percentage this year against off-speed, 300. Slugging percentage last year against off-speed was 466, and the expected slugging against it was 536, which is literally higher than his fastball expected slugging percentage. He crushed off-speed pitching last year and could not hit it at all this season. Adjustable? That's pretty subjective if you think that that's something that he can fix and really refigure out again. But the biggest glaring difference, all the numbers are down, obviously, but one of the biggest reasons was because of his inability to hit change-ups and other off-speed pitches. Really, really stood out to me. The other thing that really stood out to me was in the batted ball profile and his batted ball data, um, this is a dude that the last two years 
when you're talking about the contact that he was making was it, it was really I mean solid contact right captain obvious moment for sure but really solid contact when he was struggling because least we forget before 2020 Jamer Candelario's career numbers were really not very good from season to season it's 2019 643 OPS 2018 710 OPS 2017 in Chicago in 11 games before the trade 525 OPS and then everyone got really excited because in the 27 games after being traded to Detroit he had an 874 OPS but that's again only 106 plate appearances 27 games so in the full seasons leading up to 2020 when he really broke out 710 OPS 643 OPS Batting averages of 224 and 203, slugging percentage under 400 for both of them. The reason why those numbers were bad is because he was getting under a lot of pitches, a lot of pop ups. When we look at the batted ball data, percentage of balls that he was under, right? 2018, 30.5%. 2019, 30.4%. Almost a third, just under a third. Of his batted balls, he was getting a little too much under. 2020, that plummets to a 21.3%. You're going from a third of your balls, almost a third of your balls that you hit in play, you're getting under, to like a fifth. Just over a fifth of the balls you're putting in play, getting under. That is a dramatic difference, right? Like an almost 10% drop. 2021, 21.8% of his batted balls, he got under. Dramatic, dramatic drop-off from when he was struggling to when he was successful. And the balls that he was on top of were about the same. The solid contact was honestly about the same in the two years that he had an 800-plus OPS versus the years his OPS was in the 600s. The barrel percentage went up a lot. But like as a whole, the really only huge difference in batted ball data was a 10% decrease in balls that he was under, not popping nearly as much up. 2022 comes around, that number shoots back up to 28.5%. The barrel percentage was 83 Is that less than the 9% in 2021 and the 10.3% in 2020? Absolutely. But it's still significantly better than the 5.9% and the 6% in 18 and 19 when he had rough seasons that were still somehow better OPSs than what he accomplished this year, right? I think one of the biggest, uh, to me, this is like number one on things that if he fixed, he would be some semblance of his 2020 and 2021 self again the percentage of balls he hit that he got under skyrocketed this year and is that an adjustment is that something you can do with the elbow right maybe in his follow-through it's something maybe he's dipping the elbow maybe he's dipping the shoulder there's a million you know maybe he's breaking the wrist too early A a billion different reasons that we can talk about like technicality wise and and follow through wise and all that stuff that it it could be mechanics wise that's the word I was thinking of that it could be and hopefully the next hitting coach 
or or whatever the next staff in general comes in and can really work on on that with him if he decides to stick around but it also might be too little too late so that's just like the big stuff that I wanted to highlight offensively I think that walk rate um the batted ball data and and the off speed versus fastball pitches were like the three glaring things that really jumped out to me when comparing Jamer's seasons this year to his two good and two poor seasons that he's had before this year. Okay. Hopefully that was, that all made sense. I, I try to explain things as, as best as I can. If it didn't let me know, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to re kind of dive back into it. And we'll have a lot more player profiles. Obviously we're trying to do everybody on the roster so I can re explain it maybe for a future player and you can go back and understand what this means if it's not. But I, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's pretty, a lot of it's pretty straightforward, just fascinating stuff. And I think that that's the biggest thing for me that, that really jumped out. Okay. Let's get into, uh, I guess really, I want to talk about his defense a little bit, but after that, I just want to get to the future of the third base position. So we'll do that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at built bar if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Delicious, indulgent cookie dough. Oh, I don't have it like within arm's reach here. They sent me a box so that I could talk about how amazing it was. And I've just been scarfing them down like before I go to the gym. Oh my goodness. They are unbelievably good. All the joys of cookie dough without the hassle of making it, plus it's healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. So run to Built.com and snag a box for you and the family. It will be a perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them all for yourself. That's what I do. My hiding place currently is so good, they're not even within arm's reach of me. I don't know where they are, but I, I scarf them down every morning before I go to the gym. Uh, so run to build.com snag a box for you and the family. Like all built bars, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in hundred percent real chocolate. That means they're healthy and they're tasty chocolate covered cookie dough with a light fluffy texture. They're so good. You're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or you need to grab a quick bite to eat. Build is the perfect protein bar. They taste better than a candy bar. You can ditch the calories, the fat, the sugar, and grab yourself a Built Bar. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Segment three, third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. Talking Jamer Candelario talked a lot about his offense and why he struggled and whatnot. Let's talk about his defense. Jamer's defense has always been controversial might be too dramatic of a phrase, but it's always been a topic of conversation. We'll say he's always been kind of around that. Every year he's either just below or just above league average. And like, you're fine with it. If he puts up an OPS in the eight hundreds, I, I will gladly, gladly take the version of Jamer Candelario that has an 800 OPS and is a, like a net zero defender, like zero OAA or DRS, whatever defensive statistic you like to use more. 
And when looking at his seasons past, right? Like, let's take a look at war. I use fan graphs war just for reference. Uh, this season, he had a negative 0.1 fan graphs war and a positive 0.5 baseball reference war. Um, I, like I said, in John the scopes, I prefer fan graphs just because I like the way that it's formulated more, but it, 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 it can be pretty subjective at times. I, I just am a bigger fan of how fan graphs calculates war, um, with defensive metrics and offensive and all that. Uh, so with Jamer, let's look at his last few years of F war, right? 2018, he had a 2.2 F war. That was his first full year with the Detroit Tigers. Over a two-war season at 24 in your first full season, things were looking up. 2019, he had a 0.2 F4. Took a step back, really struggled offensively. We talked about that. In 2020, he had a two-win season in 50-something games. Right? That's on pace for, what, math? That times three at least. So you're talking about at least a six war plus maybe 10 games, but maybe he's like has a weak cold spell over 10 games. You're looking at around six war, right? Maybe take away like five, somewhere between five and six win season. He was on pace for crushing the baseball. He was solid enough defensively uh, and 872 OPS in that short season. 2021, he puts up a four-win season last year. That's why I was so excited about him. A four-win season is is really solid. That would have, what, led our offense? That might have led our entire team in, in war this year. Really solid. Again, just around league average defensively and crushing the baseball. Works for me. This year, the offense, as we have documented, fell off a cliff. However, the defense also was not very good. And I think that that is, if you're, when people are under team control still, you are looking for every reason to be like, yeah, why should we keep you? Like, uh, why? Well, you're trying to find every, I don't want to say excuse, but you're trying to, you're looking under every rock. You're like, yeah, like it just makes sense to keep you. It's under team control the arbitrator's probably going to side with the Tigers this year because of how bad of a season he had. Like, you're looking for any reason to point to and be like, yeah, like, maybe this is salvageable. Maybe it looks makes sense to keep him. And this year, the, the D, it was probably his worst defensive season of his career. When you're looking at, like, metrics and stuff that, that help point to how good or poor someone is defensively. He had a negative six outs above average. That's a baseball savant thing. And Fangraphs really likes to use that as well. And then, I mean, even when you go and hop over to DRS, right? Defensive run saved. He had a negative one this year. Last year, he had a zero OAA and a negative three DRS at third base. In 2020, he had a plus two in both stats. In 2019, he had a plus one DRS and a plus five outs above average. Like he, he's since he became a solidified like everyday player, like he, he's been a like a round league average, depending on the metric you use. Like I keep saying, and this year it just it it really fell off. And they have so much analytics now and stuff. It's really fascinating. You you can look at like why he struggled. Like he he had negative six defensive. Uh, value on lateral moves toward first base. Like, there you go. Like, that. that's obviously a huge knock. 
Um, lateral moves toward third base. He had a negative two. That's the worst he's ever done in his entire career. When moving backwards, he had a negative two. That's the worst he's had when, uh, in, in his entire career. Like, just across the board, really, everything defensively. And he wasn't, you know, the worst defender in the world and like an absolute liability out there. But his outs above average percentile was in the eighth percentile. That means 92% of the league was better in outs above average than him. Just across the board, really a catastrophic season. So let's talk about what to do with the future of the third base position. Obviously, there are still some people out there that think, oh, I forgot letter grade for him. Man, I don't like giving people Fs. But, like, same as Jonathan Scope, man. This might be, like, as close as you can possibly get to an F without giving it to him. Like, he was able to kind of string together some hits and, and some power there late, like, in, in sept- early September, late August, and, like, get over a 200 average and an OPS into the 600s that salvaged uh, – that didn't really salvage anything, but somewhat brought back the, the season to water level. Not, I mean, no, it wasn't a water level negative win player. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm going to go with a D minus again for letter grade. I think an F you need to be like, like negative 0.5 or worse, maybe, but like he was coming off. I don't know if you're going based off my expectations coming into the year, it's an F, but just overall, if you take what I expected out of him, out of it, and just objectively the season he had. I mean, we're splitting hairs here. D minus F, terrible season. Pick what you will, I guess. When talking about the likelihood of him being on this team next year, I view him in a relatively similar boat to Jonathan Scope, right? Jonathan Scope, you'd be giving up one year, what is it, seven and a half mil of a contract that he's under if you were to let cut ties with him and let him go. Jamer Candelario, you'd be letting go one year of team control. And I'd imagine that that arbitration deal would be honestly somewhere between like the six to eight million dollar range because of what his previous arbitration settlements have had. And they're not going to take a big step backwards because that's not how arbitration works. So I think that that it's it's a really similar situation. So I am going to go with. I guess I'm going to go with a three again, but. I think that there's a slightly like a three and a half versus a three. Like Jonathan Scope, if Jonathan Scope's a three out of ten, then I'm gonna make Jamer like a three and a half. I think he's in the same boat, but I think just because it's team control and not contract, like there's just a and we talked about stuff like they're they might look around and go, hey, this is a dude that it, this is salvageable. This is someone that we can that we can make adjustments on, look at this and this and this. We can make adjustments, make him not get under the ball so much, make him take some more pitches and get back to what he was in previous seasons. I think that's possible. I would be more surprised if Jonathan Scope was back then, Jamer Candelario, but not to the point where I'm going to give Jamer a 4 out of 10. So, like, yeah, we'll go 3.5. It's my show. I make up my own rules. 3.5, okay? 3.5 out of 10 for Jamer Candelario. When looking at third baseman, that will be available in free agency. Again, it's it's kind of hard to pick like who's going to be available via trade. In theory, I guess there's a price tag for everybody, but that's a 
that's like a really long conversation. So we're just going to look at free agents for now. The top of the list is a lot of dudes that I don't really expect to hit the open market. Nolan Arenado can opt out if he wants to. Had a phenomenal season. Might mess around and win NL MVP. Stellar. Stellar season. I would be shocked if he wasn't on the St. Louis Cardinals on opening day next year. I don't think that's going to be an an option. Excuse me. Justin Turner does have a club option. And the Dodgers have insane depth. The thing is, like... Justin Turner's 38. Like next year, I think he he would be his age 39 season. How much stock like are the Tigers and up and coming? Well, hopefully up and coming. I guess I probably shouldn't say that anymore. Last year, they were believed to be up and coming. But this is a, a team that's trying to find relatively long-term options, I think, or at least create a system where you can have short-term and have like a next man up mentality. I'm not sure how much stock they want to put in a 38, soon-to-be 39-year-old third baseman, but that's a club option too, so he might not even make the open market. Joey Wendell has a mutual option. He's someone that could hit the open market. I love Joey Wendell. Had a little bit of a step back in the first half of this season, but um, I I really like Joey Wendell. I I would be pretty fine with that if that's something that was able to happen and that the Tigers wanted to head that direction. But again, mutual option might not hit the open market. After those three, it honestly gets pretty shallow pretty quickly. You have Jace Peterson, Evan Longoria, who also has a club option, could stick around in San Fran. Um, Or, I I mean, he could hang him up. Who knows what what Evan Longoria's future is going to be. But coming to Detroit, I don't think is really, that's not something I, I view it as like a high probability. So when looking at third baseman, if you were to move off of Jamer, Jace Peterson and Brandon Drury are really the only two that you can look at and be like, yeah, like that's, you know, everyday starter for a maybe competitive team. After that, you immediately just get into like Donovan Solano, Matt Duffy, Charlie Culberson. I mean, it really Brock Holt, like you, it really, it falls off pretty quickly. So when talking about Jace and Brandon Drury, I I think they're pretty opposite at the plate, right? Jace Peterson is is more of a like not going to hit for too much power, but going to have a really solid walk rate, going to get on base, pretty high on base percentage, might not hit for average that well, might not hit for a very high slugging percentage, might not have a slugging over 400 even, but is going to draw walks, going to work at bats, be solid enough defensively. Uh, and then Brandon Drury is like, I'm not going to walk. I'm going to strike out one of every four at bats. But I'm going to have, like, everywhere he's been an everyday starter, he's been a a slugging percentage machine, right? Uh, Brandrew's career is wild. That's a whole different conversation. But, um, yeah, like, career walk rate of 6%, career K rate of 22%, but career slugging percentage of 434. Now, that's, again, because of the walk and strikeout numbers, that's paired with a 302 on base percentage. But that's a, what, 736, quick math, 736 OPS. Like that's, that would be what, the second best on your team, right behind Eric Haas, best on your team, right around there with Haasy for this season. Those are his career numbers. If you just look at 2022, uh, he had a slugging percentage of 492 in 140 games this year. He almost had a 500 slug. In 2021, it was 476. Like this dude brings a bat he almost had 30 home runs this season he's a thumper 
So it's really just, I think, if those are your only two choices, you should go with Brandon Drury because this team lacks power. And that is how the game of baseball is played today. It's as simple as that. Look at the the, the Mets and Padres playoff series. That was a three-game series. What, like almost every single run was like via, well, they had, the Mets had a little bit of a meltdown late trumpets and the eighth inning and then doubles and stuff, but like a lot of runs via the home run, uh, the, the guardians and rays. I know, haha, both offenses stink a hundred percent of the runs scored in that series via the home run. Like that's just how, that's how the game is played today. You, you need power. And this tiger's team was one of the worst power hitting teams I've ever seen in the modern era. So I think if you're stuck between those two, you lean Drury. Uh, he'll be a UFA, assuming he doesn't get re-signed right when the postseason is over. Um, and yeah, again, like after that, it kind of falls off a cliff. So that might play into your decision. Maybe you look around, you go, okay, well, unless we trade for someone, our only options here are really Jace Peterson and Brandon Drury. Let's just keep Jamer and see if we can fix whatever went wrong this year. Maybe. Maybe, that's, maybe that plays into the decision. But... We'll see. I I still think he's a really, really legitimate non-tender candidate. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if he was on this team. I wouldn't be appalled, and I wouldn't be, like, furiously upset, but I think it's more likely than not. Thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and his unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories from around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Lockdown MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Dang, this went long, man. I, I did not expect to talk about Jamer Candelario for 40 minutes, but here we are. Um, I think that's all I got for you all. We'll be back tomorrow, obviously. Don't know what player we're doing. Kind of just waking up, doing prep for the show and doing my homework and kind of figuring it out as we do deep dives on some of these dudes. Um, Yeah. Other shows, like I said, we want, I want to do one where I take a look back at like what I was right and wrong about prediction-wise. Um, obviously, when the playoffs are over, we'll have a lot of off-season stuff to talk about. It'll be fun. Uh, but we're going to keep these rolling for now. Peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope, and I'll catch you all tomorrow, baby. Go Tigers.